Hello and welcome to Series 3 of the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast. I'm Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature and host of this podcast, and I'm the author of the book Leading Through Uncertainty. In this series, I ask leaders to share their stories of uncertainty, the challenges they've faced and overcome, and what we can learn from their experiences. This week, I had the enormous pleasure of speaking to Sarah Windrum from the IT company, the Emerald Group, and she shares her story of how she led disruption in her business to adapt to new and emerging technologies, and how in the process, she caused communication and cultural challenges in her business. She talks openly about how she brought the business back together and the need to listen to different ideas. She certainly learned a load of things about her leadership in the process, something that I think is valuable for all of us in uncertainty. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for joining me today. Um, Can you tell us who you are and what you do, please? I can. Uh, So my name is Sarah Windrum. Um, I run an IT company called The Emerald Group, based in Leamington. I'm also a board director for Coventry and Warwickshire's Local Enterprise Partnership. Okay, so lots lots going on, I'm sure, with yes. both running a business and the, the LEP. T- tell us, what's your experience of leading through uncertainty? I'm sure you have lots. Yeah, so it's interesting thinking about this, actually, because I don't think there is, or I feel like there's not many times when I haven't been leading through uncertainty. Um, I think particularly with my regional roles, a lot of what I'm looking at is strategic change for, for the area. So that's a very, often very uncertain, um, mm. and you're trying to take people with you on a on a journey. Um, but actually, I, I think probably the most uncertain times, or certainly the most unsettling times, um, have been in my own organisation at Emerald, uh, because that's, that's what, you know, is at my heart, that's what really matters to me, it's my bread and butter. Um, and I think I've also been very aware of kind of mistakes that I've made along that, along that journey. So back in 2012, um, we decided to change the company, myself and my business partner, uh, primarily led by me. It was me that kind of saw change and wanted to, to um, implement it. So basically, we were a traditional IT infrastructure business, and we were looking to do more with cloud, more with mobile technology, um, and, and more with different businesses who needed kind of more remote um, mobile ways of working. So what I did was I set up a new department um, to oversee that, recruited new people into that, um, and you know, did that that department did very well and started really growing, but unbeknownst to me, what I'd created is a divide within my organisation of the established IT infrastructure department and the new kind of cloud mobile department, and they were quite different in in kind of uh, the, the people that I'd employed, um, the skill set that that was needed. Um, and so, yeah, it was probably about a year later, maybe a year and a half later, that I was able to kind of sort of look look at it from a bird's eye view because I'd been so busy building this new department, and realise I'd I'd kind of created a bit of a mess really from a from a company culture perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it was trying to lead, almost trying to repair the damage that I'd done as mm-hmm. a leader. Um, and trying to lead us back to a place where we were all kind of part of the same organisation. And we'd done some things externally. So we'd like rebranded as a group. Um, you know, we had a new a new uh, premises. So we'd all kind of come together under a, a new purpose built um, headquarters. But that was, ex- you know, external. So from the external perspective, we were a group. But certainly internally, it, it wasn't feeling like that. Mm. Um, and for the continued success of both departments, we needed 
the, the you know the team to work better together mm. so I actually got a, a, a coach a team development coach to help me because it wasn't it was so uncertain for me mm. that I, I, I knew I couldn't do it by myself mm-hmm. um, and we did a two-year uh, team development program to basically repair repair the damage and to bring us back together and so I think if you asked me what was my most uncertain and unsettling time it was that um, because oh. I think I'd created it as well and that yeah. was disturbing to me yeah and so I'm hearing you within that then there's a that it's disturbing that you've created yes. something that wasn't what you were expecting and yeah. actually that's what often happens in change isn't it is that we have a vision of where we want to go and, and, and you find yourself going there, but there are unintended consequences yeah. al- along the way. So did, did you take that personally or did your coach help you? With, uh, so with I that? did at the start. Yeah, I did take it personally um, and, and struggled with it, to be honest. Um, it affected my, my mental health at that time of, of, as you say, kind of realising that whilst I'd had the best intentions in the world and, mm. you know, my, I talk about my company as my baby, it's my mm. first baby, my, my teenager, if you like. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I thought, what have, what have I done? What have I done to, to this organisation that means so much to me? Mm. Um, and I think culture is such a precious thing as well. Mm. That, as you say, sometimes you're, you're sort of, you're pursuing the growth and the sales and all the things that you you believe are important to your organization's future and you know and they are important you need you need to get cash in um but at the same time you've got to protect that culture which which can be so fragile and i think i i really really realized that mm. um and yes i worked with my coach as well to kind of deal with that from a personal perspective but yes it, i did i did take it very personally at the beginning and i think it's interesting isn't it is that when when there is that uncertainty when when we and i'm not suggesting you made a mistake but i'm um but where you've seen things not go according to your vision or they have but not completely I think that there's that the uncertainty affects us both on a personal and a professional level doesn't it because it's that personal pride in I'm leading this organization or I'm leading this team or whatever it is we're we're doing there's the personal pride of oh crikey it hasn't quite gone according to plan but then there's also the professional um, aspect of the uncertainty as well in terms of well where where does your organization go and how do you recover from that yeah definitely and I think what's interesting when you are a leader I always say it's quite a lonely place to be because um you know your team are looking at you to have all the answers and you don't have all the answers um and and what you believe is right as you say it will have repercussions that Mm. you haven't thought of Mm. and for me it's about understanding that it will have repercussions that you you can't think of every eventuality and you know we try this I, i work in it we do risk assessments of every project but inevitably there will always be something that you know that 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 happens that we haven't accounted for Mm. and it's how we deal with that and I think leading leadership is exactly the same Mm. with all the will in the world with all the the kind of thinking and the risk assessment of your your chosen path there is going to be to be things that you haven't thought of and it's how you deal with those how Mm. you accept those how you you almost and I, I think it changed me as a leader because actually in front of my team, I'm now very open and honest that I don't have all the answers. Mm. Whereas back then I was like, oh no, I know exactly what I'm doing. You know, I'm the person at the at the at the helm of this ship. I'm going to direct it in exactly the right way. Um now, you know, I'm much more open and honest about the fact that I don't know everything mm. and I need feedback from people. And mm. I say, you know, if, if we're looking at this, 
what might happen as a result of that. And I think that collective now helps me enormously. So it's really interesting, isn't it? Is that whole, um, you know, that that reflection piece and the recognising that things are not quite going according to where you want them to go has enabled you to become more well-rounded as a leader is what is what I'm hearing. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, because what I'm hearing is there's now a humility there of I don't know it all Yeah, and I can't know it all and actually... I'm leading an organisation and a team who collectively do. Yes. And, you know, and, or, or can find out the answers because actually none of us even collectively know everything. <laughs> no, exactly. But I think also kind of the sense that I am now more prepared to listen. Mm. Uh, and I think actually looking back on that experience, there were a few points um, that had I been the leader I am now, I would have noticed that something was starting mm. to go wrong and it wouldn't have been you know, 18 months down the line fearing that I'd caused a, a kind of break of culture that I couldn't put back together. Um, so I think, yeah, being able to be much more reflective, being able to, to say, look, I'm prepared to listen, come and talk to me. If there's something that you're not happy with or if you see something happening that, that is going against mm. what you think Emerald is as, a, as an organisation, then tell me because I need to know and I'm not in it all day, every day. Mm. So, you know, the team are the people who can pick up on those those sort of those feelings I think that often go unarticulated mm. and can build and build so yeah I think absolutely it's changed me as a leader it's made me yet yeah, much more much more humble much more open much more honest um, and as a result that's the culture that I've got as well right. you know you've, yeah. you see that reflected um, in in the people they they sort of follow your lead I guess in that respect mm. so if I'm more open and honest they have started to be more open and honest as well it's interesting, isn't it? Because there's almost like a parallel here of you've gone from old technology to, um, you know, let's do things technically in a completely different way. And then the leadership has had to go in a different way as well. Yeah, in, I, I in hadn't parallel. looked at it like that, but that's and, really good. And yeah. I'm really curious about where we go, you know, where we're going um, globally with technology. Um, because I think, you know, we are we are going through more change and technologically you know, there's so much change and so much disruption happening. You know, back um, 2012, so what, seven years ago, you were just starting to instigate that. But actually, I think for most organisations, if not all organisations now, they're all having to disrupt to stay, you know, to stay in the game. So I wonder, um, you know, what your view is around what, what needs to happen for people who are leaders who need to... Um, maybe just i don't know do they do they need to look at their leadership skills as well as their where the organization is going knowing that we're going to get more uncertainty yeah uh, definitely and and actually i think it's really interesting i was with a company um last week talking about technology and the drive for technology and um, they just implemented office 365 um in their organization from from a an on, you know for a previously having an on premise server and that drive came from their millennials um, and Generation Z now coming into the workforce as well. And this consumer technology um, is so much more advanced often than business technology. Mm. And you've got these young people who have grown up with this this way of working and they don't understand why they can't do uh, the, you know, the same thing that they can do from a consumer perspective within their businesses. But actually, I think they've also got an attitude to leadership, which we need to look at. Um, it, it is much more um, kind of collective. It is much more, um, uh, you know, kind of a flat, a flat hierarchy. They, mm -hmm. they, they don't have this kind of expectation of 
of of businesses the way the way that we have mm. so yeah absolutely i think it's really interesting um certainly we've got three apprentices uh at 18 and, and 19 and just their whole attitude to to me as the owner of the company is is very different to some of our other employees um so i do think we need to look at leadership in in this kind of new digital world, but also in this new world of, of the talent that we want to employ. Mm. Um, you know, values, they're, they're much more kind of socially value driven when they're making choices about about where they work. Mm. And if we want to, to recruit them and if we want to develop them and, and, and you know, keep them, we need to be looking at, at how we do that as well and b- becoming more nurturing, really, I think, to be mm. honest. Interesting, the word, the word nurturing. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it's a word that I... I often use probably more in my head than than externally, but actually it's it is really important that whole um, you know and listening is a, a key part of that, isn't it? Really, is that un- really understanding what what is it like to walk in somebody else's shoes? Because that's the only way we can work collectively, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think accepting you know where ideas ideas can come from anywhere, um, and the the strategic direction of the business can can change because of an idea that an 18 year old Mm. apprentice has Um, and yes you know you as the leader will bring all your kind of your experience and your commercial knowledge but actually they might have an idea that is really worth listening to and not just dismissing because you think well that's crazy Um, you know actually what what can you what threads can you pick out of that and it was really interesting because our most recent apprentice wrote a blog about this um, and the thing that he said was how much he's listened to within our organisation as, as the thing he values most about mm. his apprenticeship. Um, and again, we hadn't really done that sort of consciously. It, it's just now part of the culture of the organisation that everybody can have an idea. Um, and, and that idea, you know, even though you think it is absolutely wacky, listen to it first and then kind of understand how it might be able to be implemented what the risks might be and you know just have a like you say I think well-rounded is a really good phrase we are a more well-rounded organization mm. because we accept that everybody can have a different viewpoint and collectively if we listen to every viewpoint you know we're, we're going to come to maybe not the right idea but certainly the next step mm. that we can take forward. I'm really interested about um, the idea of disruption being wacky and crazy yeah. <laughs> because you know, disruption is wacky and crazy, isn't it? I mean, even, you know, going back um, in, you know, I've, I obviously worked for, for IBM for years and, and in the 90s, I remember Bill Gates saying, every home will have a PC and everybody's saying, that's insane, that's crazy. Why would you want a PC at home? And of course, now everybody has like several and we have them in the palm of our hands. Yes. And, you know, so so the disruption that happens at the time is often wacky and crazy and and I'm curious about how how do you develop your the people in your organisation and how do you you know because we haven't talked about your role in the in the LEP yet but um, how do you encourage the region and your organisation to be wacky and to have a go and uh, because that's where the disruption is going to happen and how do you I know there's quite a lot of questions here but how do you balance that with the uncertainty that then gets created so you don't get the challenges you had and maybe maybe you do maybe that's just part of the process yeah I, I I think this is you know you are almost summing up my my daily daily life challenge is is how do I encourage the region to be more wacky um and and you know be able to kind of embrace the uncertainty that goes with that and and that's hard um and I think 
that's harder the the bigger the organization mm. the more pressures particularly when you're talking about the public sector all the uh, you know restrictions and confines that they have the local enterprise partnership the idea of being a private public partnership is that you try and balance some of that mm-hmm. um you know a startup culture you can be wacky you can be um um, disruptive it's when you become bigger when you start employing people when you suddenly start um, having more governance structure or or, uh, you know that that's when it gets tricky Mm. so I think that balance is certainly something I feel on a day-to-day basis Mm. and I'm sure I'm not alone in that Mm. um because I'm guessing you know that you know when you said the 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 strategic direction you took your organization um created a divide well you can imagine growing you know on a on a big with a big global corporation that divide could be even greater if you're not careful and yeah and it's really easy to create those divides and and much harder as you know to recover from them isn't it definitely and I, and I think the awareness of that um and the kind of looking for the points where that that where you see that divide um and as I said if I if I'd been the leader now then I would have seen that divide much earlier because I reflecting on it I can see the kind of points right. and I think that's where certainly from a local enterprise partnership perspective I use that kind of awareness on a on a greater scale so absolutely as a region we don't want just some people to be progressing to to the future we want everybody to be progressing to the future um, and how do you take people on that journey and I think it was as you were saying before walking in someone else's shoes means that you can look at what you're suggesting from their perspective mm. and you know I, I get um sort of uh, the other board directors will call me the kind of the, the colorful board director I think partly because I always wear something that's quite bright to meetings but also partly because I'm saying things that they think wow like that's that's bold um but it's how you kind of help them to come on that journey with you mm. you've got to have patience I, in all honesty I think that's the thing I've learned the most um, that's helped me is how to be more patient with people and how to understand that they don't look at the world necessarily like you do. Mm. Um, and I think what's that quote about if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm. I repeat that to myself often in moments of frustration where I think, why don't they just get that this is a good idea? <laughs> and I think to myself, look, just be calm, just be patient. You need all of these people to come on this journey with you. Um, and, 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 you know, and with the region. I mean, there are, there are people doing some amazingly disruptive things in, in this region. And, 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 you know, I think really it's how we champion that mm. together and how we kind of help people to, mm. to understand that better. Um, and so for the benefit, benefit of the viewers, we're in the West Midlands in the UK. Yes. So we're at, right in the heart of the country. Um, can you share with us some of the things that are happening that are disrupting business yeah so i mean we've got 5g um the west midlands won the um government competition to be the urban connected communities um so basically that's how 5g will affect all of our lives and and developing test beds so coventry and warwickshire in particular is looking at the mobility test bed so connected autonomous vehicles um and the experience that we have within those mm-hmm. so not just about the safety and the security and the operation of the vehicle and the technicality although, yeah, of it although obviously that is very very important um but once we've got that actually what will we be doing in our connected autonomous um vehicles as they take us the last mile from you know the train station to our meeting because all of these technologies they they're going to change 
the way we live and work, aren't they? In in the same way as you know the the iPhone has changed and the PC has changed the way we live and work. Yeah. And and sometimes it's easy to forget that, isn't it? It's how do how do we um how do we embrace as a human race? How do you think? I know this is a big question, but how do you think we embrace the uncertainty that we're actually creating with technology? I think again, it comes back to a sort of balance of um, embracing the opportunity and thinking about the opportunity and being prepared to be wacky and you know blue sky thinking and sort of push it as far as we can, but then also with the kind of check and balance of of um, you know the, the kind of governance and the security and the ethics. And actually, interestingly, I went to an event recently where they talked about businesses having um, an AI ethics officer now or a technology um, ethics officer. Mm. So actually looking at what is the repercussion of that technology mm. or the collection of that data or, or anything like that. What, what are, what's your kind of ethical responsibility as a result of, of whatever new solution you're, you're implementing? Because I, I don't think we've always done that in the past, have we? I no. think we've come up with whizzy ideas and gone, oh, look, this is wacky. Look, let's do this. Oh, isn't that fun? And then suddenly it becomes the norm, you know, like the 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 internet has, you know, become, is so the norm and the security issues, that's the backlash yes. of the internet So yeah. and being always connected. So there's always a backlash to something. So what, what I'm hearing is we're starting to think more forward, think, be more forward thinking and ethical around what is going to be the potential impact on our on our lives with this definitely and and, and try do you think and, there's more to do there though? oh oh my god there's a huge <laughs> amount to do there and actually doing it before the backlash happens and you know actually going back to to my my first story about me being aware of of at the beginning um of of what i was doing by creating a new uh, department I was oblivious at that time mm. and I think we've been oblivious to the impact that technology has from a you know kind of a risk assessment point of view I mean the internet was 1995 and we're only really taking cyber security seriously I know now. it's frightening isn't it I think that's the bit that worries me with the whole idea of disruption is anyone anyone now can have a wacky idea yes you know back in the 90s it was one or two big companies like Microsoft or IBM but now you know, Joe Bloggs sat at home can just have some wacky idea and before you know it, it goes viral and it becomes the norm. Yes, and I, and I think that's where having um, ethics committees or, or, I mean, there is an AI ethics board that government have set up, but actually extending that to not just AI, all of technology mm. is really important. Um, you know, and again, with the backlash of Facebook and Cambridge Analytica, you had GDPR. You know, we need to be forward thinking about this we need to be planning well hang on a minute if joe blogs creates the next facebook or whatever it be um you know i, I think watch this space with email in all honesty and what the evolution of email for business is going to look mm. like but if somebody does create this new solution what checks and balances are we going to have you know for uk plc really and 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 what do we need to do so that we're not um you know we're not left in a, a kind of ethical social uh, problematic situation I mm. think there's huge amounts to do uh, but actually that's quite exciting that's a whole career path yeah and a whole career sector that I, that it doesn't really exist yet um, and I think you know the young people that you speak to are very aware of their kind of responsibility and, and mm. their um, you know their, their kind of social values so mm. we could see a you know a, a whole load of opportunity opening up here so um I know I'm asking some big questions here because yes. te technology, but technology is so fascinating and it's so, well, it's so now, but it's, it is 
shaping our lives in a in a fundamental way and i think we're, we're going to see more of that um we've talked a bit about the millennials and and how they are wanting and they're shaping things how do we make sure that we don't leave the older generations behind um because we're working longer in in the workplace now than ever before and as hierarchies are flattening um how do you make sure that the kind of older generations are not left behind and that they still have a voice in in business and that they're encouraged to disrupt as well. Yeah, I, I think that's about experience um, and the value of experience. And that's where, uh, you know, the, the, the blog that our apprentice wrote was actually about balancing expectations. And I think that's the real kind of difference that I think we see with each generation is that there is um, you know, it's 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 a kind of arbitrary line, but there is a sense of they've been in the workplace where there were certain expectations, so they've developed certain behaviours. Mm. And it's really interesting comparing myself to an, our 18-year-old apprentice because I still like to think I'm cool and hip and young. <laughs> and actually, I've realised that I, I'm not. I don't see work in the same way that, that he sees work. Um, and that's, you know, that's been absolutely kind of eye opening for me. And I think it's the same thing with the older generation. It's about appreciating their knowledge and their experience. And, and that's still hugely valuable. Mm. I was talking with an accountant just before um, I came here about the kind of foundational skills of accountancy that you won't get from Zero or QuickBooks. You know, as good as they are as technology tools, they don't know all the the, the kind of mm. foundations of, of accountancy that somebody who's been through all of their uh, management accountant and chartered accountant exams will know. So but can't, can't they be trained to do that, though? I mean, can't AI be trained to, to go through accountancy exams and learn all of that knowledge? Yeah. They're not going to have the experience necessarily. No. Well, maybe more because... They, they could potentially, you could put all the case studies in and give the AI an, an understanding of, well, if this happens, that happens, and, and they can research um, case studies yes. far, far more than a human being can because they can process so yeah, much more. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think that's interesting as well in the way that that goes with kind of um, with value judgments. And actually, that's one of the things we're talking about with connected autonomous vehicles at the moment is about how does a... a, a a, a, you know, a, a, a robot essentially, or, or the technology, make a value judgment decision. When you're driving, actually, you will kind of make those those judgments almost, uh, um, you know, subconsciously. Mm. How do you program a, a computer to make those judgments? And that's where actually my passion for opening up the tech world and, and making sure that the tech world is more diverse comes into play, because we need. Going back to what we were talking about at the beginning. Emerald as an organisation employs 15 people, uh, that's, you know, very small, but we take into account all of those 15 people's opinions when we make decisions now, mm. especially strategic decisions. Um, and the same thing, I think, applies to how we use technology. We need technology as an industry to be more diverse. We need mm. more voices at the table, because if we do that, we'll make sure that we make the kind of the best decisions really for for the nation on on where we're going. Yeah, because one of the one of the concerns with AI is that that it's being programmed with unconscious bias and yeah. and we all have unconscious bias and and so if, you know, technology is well known for being male dominated, um but again you've got different age ranges and different, you know, genders, it's not just gender, race, religion, you know, all the kind of different diversity groups 
it's really important to have those different opinions in, isn't it? So that we don't make, so that we make sure that AI is programmed not just for the, you know, the white male who's programming it, yeah. but is is going to work for all the population. And I guess that's why the ethics committee is so important. Exactly. And you know, we've all had different experiences. We've all, as, as you say about unconscious bias, we've all got, um, you know, different um, kind of uh, points of reference and 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 different value judgments. And and how do we enable technology to look at all of that and to take all of that into consideration um, it's not easy is it's it? not easy it's, yeah, it's a big it's a big challenge um, and but but again it's a real exciting opportunity and for me from a from a sort of a UK perspective but also a regional perspective I think this is an opportunity for us to lead the way mm. you know America don't have it have it right they may have the big four tech giants they may have all the you know data control at this moment in time but they don't have it right mm. they are predominantly white male mm. and predominantly white male I think from a, from even from a certain kind of socio demographic group mm. so actually we've got an opportunity to say no 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 technology needs to be you know kind of formed and and, and molded by everybody and how do we do that and also to recognize that technology isn't about programming yes you know i mean i, I worked for ibm for 17 years and i never went near any programming or anything in fact anything technical for 17 years because because that wasn't my core skill you know everything i did was about leading parts of the business or managing uh, client contracts or services or you know, or operations or something. It was, but it was ultimately, it was all for me. It was always about people, and I think, you know, I think there's a there's a better message that we need to get out there, isn't there? That, you know, we're we're trying to encourage women into STEM subjects, but actually maybe they don't need to be encouraged into STEM subjects and do the technical stuff if that's not of interest. But actually, the business, if you look at technology, it's driving everything. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you want to be? you know, a woman driving a technology business and actually influencing the way that we live and work. I think from a social point of view, that's a, you know, I'm, I'm up for that job. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and that's it. I think if you've got an understanding of technology and, and you know, its limitations and, it, and, and, and its possibilities, really, that's your foundation. Once mm. you've got that, you can build on that, as you say, with all your other skills. And actually, for me, technology is just a form of problem solving mm. you know it's a it's a way of going okay we've we've got different layers of technologies you know mm. 5g is the next one who knows what's coming after that mm. it it's not enough in its own for its own sake mm. you've got to look at how you apply it mm. you've got to look at how you integrate it with you know existing services or or, or existing um um frameworks and and yet for me that's that's the exciting bit. How do you take a new technology and make it work within the existing frameworks that you've that you've got? And I feel like we've almost come full circle because actually that's what I started the mobile technology division to do. We were used to existing kind of IT infrastructure, people having servers on on premise and and, and you know maintaining those. And actually, what I wanted to do was saying, look we've got an opportunity here for a new way of doing things and um, you know and now cloud is 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 much more kind of mainstream among small businesses than it was mm, then mm. um but actually going okay here's another opportunity but how do we integrate this with what you've got now mm. and yes ways of working will need to change um but if we br bring people along on that journey if we upskill people particularly the generation who've been doing you know been doing the job for a number of years and mm. have that experience uh, to me, that it feels like that's a that's a golden formula to move forward, definitely. 
Amazing. Sarah, I could talk to you all day about this. I think this just we've just scraped the tip of the yes. iceberg, haven't we? So um, it'd be really interesting to see where, where t- technology takes us uh, next. Um, before we go, uh, what's your top tip to any aspiring leader who's leading through uncertainty? I think accept that you don't know everything um, and be open to ideas that come. Um, and actually, some of those ideas will be wacky. Um, and that's okay. You know, you don't have to kind of take everything on. Mm. But it's important to, to at least think it through mm. and to go, okay, here's an idea that's come forward. My immediate reaction is that is crazy and it will never work. But why am I saying that? Let's mm. just have a kind of a look through it and a reflect through it. Um, I, I think when we're leading through uncertainty, there is a kind of a, a sort of a pressure to go quickly and mm. I need to go quickly and I think particularly in technology because it's moving so fast and we want it to be comfortable again so we want to move through through the discomfort of the uncertainty don't we exactly. and make it all normal again exactly <laughs> so it's let's go fast fast is best and actually I think the opposite when it's when it's really uncertain and unstable just being able to find time to, for yourself to take a step back and to not be pressured into making decisions instantly, mm. um, you know, being able to kind of reflect, especially, you know, on those big decisions, you need mm. to reflect. Mm. And we actually started having meetings, that, you know, really short meetings where I just got information from people. And then I went away and scheduled another meeting for a week or two weeks time so that I'd had the opportunity to reflect on, on, you know, what, what that 15 minute kind of information input had, had, had prompted right. me to think. So, yeah, I think try and slow it down mm. as much as mm. you can, even though you want to move fast mm. um, and everything in you, in you is saying the faster, the better. Sometimes a bit of reflective time is really needed. Great. So embrace the wacky, but embrace slow, wacky. It, <laughs> slow it down and reflect so that, Absolutely. so that you understand the consequences. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Sarah. No problem. Thank you. Wasn't Sarah amazing? We covered so much in this podcast from technological disruption to regeneration of the West Midlands to the need for diverse thinking and embracing the craziness of uncertainty and disruption. I particularly loved um, Sarah's approach to recognising that disruption is nearly always wacky until it becomes adopted and mainstream. Isn't that amazing to, to think that? It really shows that we need more diverse thinking in the future of our technological advances and how we adapt to our technology so that we really think through how we use it in a way that works for all sections of society. Amazing. That's it for this week. I was your host, Jude Jennison, and I hope you were as inspired as I was. Keep leading and come back soon for the next interview on Leading Through Uncertainty. Mm-hmm.